Welcome to the Toffee Blues, your source for all things Everton, and welcome to another show where, once again, I'm joined by Teddy McAllister, and also a very warm welcome back to the show to the Liverpool Echoes, Sam Carroll. How are you, mate? Not too bad, you know, cracking on. I'm uh, starting to miss the miss, missing the footy, missing, I think I'm missing playing more than actually supporting Everton, because it is what it is, isn't it? But well, yeah. we're uh, hopefully at the back end of this now, and hopefully we can uh, we can get back into it soon. Fingers crossed. I mean, they're pushing for June, which is only you know two weeks away now, so it's not 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 long to go. If that's the case, obviously the Bundesliga is back. Have you been watching any of that? I had the uh, the first games on last weekend, but I think I was working the uh, weekend after, which was I don't know. It just felt like watching. I think because we played Minds in preseason, I've kind of got that in my head, like just seeing that like empty stadium, like it just feels like you're just kind of watching a. A kick about between teams, doesn't it? It's quite surreal when you realise there's points and and stuff at, at stake. So, yeah, hopefully be able to watch the. Uh, is it Dortmund Bayern tomorrow night? Be, it yeah. is indeed. Yeah, that's obviously yeah. the one everyone's talking about. But yeah, the uh, the the lad I live with, Adam, uh, he's a he's a big Dortmund fan. I don't know how he's ended up getting into that. So I'm sure he'll be uh, he'll be well in tune to that on uh, tomorrow night. Well, I've been a faux Schalke fan since the lockdown was lifted in Germany, so at least he's having a better time than I am. <laughs> Honestly, it's un- unbelievable. I mean, you suffer enough watching Everton and then all this comes along. It's it's quite the experience, but then I, was, I never seem to take the easy way, so why not? Teddy, what about yourself? How are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. I mean, I've been watching Bundesliga like yourselves, and um, it you were saying you know supporting Schalke, it's it's like supporting Everton. You know, I can't one Everton's enough for me. If I'm watching another league, another sport, another anything, I'm supporting the the easiest team to support. So if I'm supporting anyone, it's Bayern Munich. If I'm watching Italy at Juventus, I don't well, I don't care. Like I, I I'm doing my bit with Everton. Um, one thing I took from the, the behind closed doors games is it's, it kills off your sort of attention for neutral game. Well, games that aren't your team, I should say. While there's points on it and title races and relegation and whatnot, because the spectacle's so different, it's not as entertaining, not as gripping. Whereas I think it's going to be a lot different when you support one of the teams, especially when we come back. We're going straight into a Merseyside derby. So, yeah, it'll be strange with empty seats and what have you, but. You know when you really, really care, you're kicking every ball with them again. It's it's gonna it's gonna be something else entirely. It won't be as good as it will be with supporters, obviously, but it won't be as dry as uh, some of the Bundesliga games yeah, are. It's, it's like a preseason vibe. I think, like Sam said before, it is a preseason vibe that I get off watching those games at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I mean, I watched um, Mines versus uh, Leipzig yesterday, and it, you know. Goals galore. It was, you know, it was nice to see an entertaining game. But I, I think if I was watching a nil-nil type game with um with no supporters, it'd be quite difficult to watch. You know, to hold your attention. But when the Merseyside derby's on, I'll be sitting there like on the edge of my seat, like everyone else. Yeah, well, I think that's that's a whole different kettle of fish altogether. I mean, any Premier League games like hectic enough, but I think going straight back into a derby are really uh, going to have to. You know, really try and 
get myself mentally prepared for that because it's, it's a tough one. Well, it's baby steps at the minute, isn't it? I mean, they're going to vote this week on, you know, this next phase of um, training and what have you. And, yeah, I I think, you know, I think any prospect of it not coming back has gone out the window now since, um, you know, the testing's gone well, the Bundesliga's gone well so far. You can never say never, but I think they've got, they they sort of can see a pathway now to getting it back. And then we'll just, you know, go from there. And then, you know, no... um, no gentle, like, you know, restart for us. We're thrown into the, one of the most dreaded games of the year <laughs> straight away. I mean, to be fair, it'd be the most Everton thing ever if we actually win that game when there's no fans to enjoy it. Like, it's 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 probably about as typical Everton as it could get. If, if we're ever going to win a derby, it'll probably be that one. <laughs> well, I would have, may have agreed if it was uh, at Anfield, but I'd, I'd, um, I think we're at the biggest disadvantage because we're missing our home crowds. If, we, if this was the Anfield derby... I'd sort of look into the lack of crowds as possibly something that might change the dynamic, but well, it still will change the dynamic, but maybe not in the way we want, but fingers crossed. Well, we'll just have to wait and see, but obviously tonight we're going to be, just run through what's going on tonight, we're going to be doing a segment on the Everton Academy and what we've got to look forward to on that front in the near future. Then we've got the middle bit, where we're going to have a little random off-topic discussion on comedy films. Then we've got the next two of our series of player performance reviews for the current season so far and then finally we'll finish off with the classic quiz our main segments will be separate on YouTube so we'll introduce them separately as we move through the podcast so we'll start with our Academy Under 23 segment where we are going to be looking deeper into what the future holds for the Under 23s and below and we'll start with you Sam we were made aware recently that a plethora of the Under 23 title winning squad are going to be released at the end of the season Obviously, it's a bit of a disappointment as there was high hopes for some of these lads. But, you know, Morgan Feeney's probably the major surprise in all this. Are you surprised there's so many of the title winning under 23s team has been released? Uh, not, not so much of a surprise. I think, obviously, Feeney would be the one, if you remember last season, when, when Hadi Charlesley picked up a, a pretty bad injury and, and Everton gave him an extra six months to uh, kind of get himself. Uh, back fit in the new season, you know, and, and there was, I think, at that time, people kind of questioned why why that was. And I remember speaking to to Dave Dunsworth about it, and he said, you know, because it was the right thing to do. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of leaned towards the fact that they probably would do something similar with Morgan. You know, how how much more bad luck can you get? You know, his first ever loan uh, away from Everton, and he ends up getting injured in his first game for for Tramia. You know, and, and then Tramia ends up flying as well. You know, just such. Such bad luck for a lad who just doesn't deserve it. Do you know what I mean? A, a, a lower Gladys season ticket holder, been with the club since a kid, worked his way up through the age groups, won two, you know, been integral to two Premier League, two titles. He captained them to the double last season. Um, so I'd say there's an element of, of surprise about Morgan and, and an element maybe of disappointment with how, how that one has been handled by the club. Uh, obviously, Everton have told him he can, he can go in and train with the with the lads during pre-season, but it's difficult, isn't it? Whether you'd want to... Is, is that something that Morgan would, would want to do, to, to go in and train with lads who, you know, at the end they've got a contract while he's out there searching for the club in, in a difficult environment? So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think we... I don't know, it may, I think it makes me a little bit sad of, of, of how Morgan's probably been treated in, in that situation. I know, I'm certainly disappointed on Morgan's behalf. I had very high hopes for him and also is there a possibility do you think maybe that if he is training without the contractors of you to maybe offer him a new contract if he trains well or 
Just maybe is that out the window? Case, I think it was something similar with Harry Charsley, wasn't it? That they wanted to kind of give him that opportunity. And at the same time, it worked out well for Unsworth and John Eberle and Franny Jeffers because they were short on they were short on numbers last season at one point. And, and Harry Charsley, you know, can, can play in a lot of positions. And, and Morgan was obviously, if it came to it, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't massively uh, surprise me. You know, I think a lot of people had high hopes for Morgan. You know, made his debut under David Unsworth in, in the first team and, and he is a proper classic uh, centre half, an Everton centre half almost. And but at the same time, you know, something that I've kind of thought about for the last eighteen months or two years is that we also need to stop kinda we can't keep giving lads contract upon contract upon contract just in case, you know, the 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 start to blossom when the twenty three, twenty four, because we're starting to, I think, have a, a detrimental effect on on people's careers, you know, there's always going to be a couple like an Everton example point, Michael Keane, isn't it? Manchester United let him go, and then a few years later, he's getting signed by a, a rival for 30 million. Which, but you know, th- these stories are, are few and far between, really. And you know, we, we, we've got you know, your Tyus Brownings, your, your Matthew Penningtons, your uh, Garbutt, your, your Luke Garbutt, and even now we're starting to have like your Keaton Dials are approaching it of, of lads in the mid 20s who who are still just, you know, essentially being stockpiled for Everton and, and, and playing under-23 football. And, you know, I think I said it last time, I think, you know, under-23 football to an extent is still, you know, good for for, for players in, in the early stages of the careers. But certainly what this now looks to be doing is is getting players like, you know, your Tyler on Yangos, Lewis Warrington, Ryan Astley, Lewis Dobbin. I think these changes of releasing your, your Denny's and your... You, you, uh, Manas Manpala and, and people like that. It's about getting the younger lads more exposure, and then maybe getting them into the loan system earlier, which is something that we we haven't been doing, and it's definitely been it's definitely been difficult for some of those younger lads because you know even on a human level, you look at Keaton Dahl who's been at Forest and then Derby and then Wigan, you know Pennington, Leeds, Ipswich, Hull. You know that it's lads getting moved around the country each year and, and not being given a chance to settle and. Uh, you know, make make a good go of the career somewhere, and 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 try and make the way back to the Premier League, like a a John Lundstrom and a Shane Duffy and people like that. So you know, if Everton are convinced that these lads aren't aren't good enough for the first team at whatever point, I think the decision has to be made um, to 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 let them move on. And I think that is that's a positive. I think from from the lads getting released, go go and give them that opportunity. And you know, as I've said there, I think Morgan is the only one where you think. Maybe should have been given, you know, at least six months to, when you consider what's what's happened to him at the back end of the season. Certainly, I think Morgan Feeney's probably the one that's the big surprise for me. But the others, I think it's probably the right move. I think, like you say, we've been holding on to players far too long. I think it's mad to think that Luke Garbutt's still on our books and he's older than Luca Dean. I think that that's always the one that I seem to bring up. Teddy, what do you think on the situation with the academy and the under twenty threes? I mean, it, it looks like it's either the beginning of or the next phase of a strategy that Marcel Brands has put in place since he's come into the club. Now, I just want to ask Sam, really. like not, we, we, He's clearly clearing the decks of sorts, isn't he, of, of a lot of players who have, you know, they've made decisions on in the under-23s, you know, they don't see having a future going forward. Now, from your understanding, what do you think that, that would indicate, well, they've got an influx of new players they might have been lining up to come in and take those spots? Or do you think they'll have a cluster of 
under 18 players who they see are stepping up into those positions or a mix of both? Or like, what do you think will be the next step once those players are out the door? Who who comes into those places in the under 23 team? I think it's definitely going to be the the under 18 lads. Do you know, it's it's I don't think it's going to be a complete. You know, it's not like we're starting next season with 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 zero. You know, or, or completely rebuilding. You know, you've got to think towards the back end of last season. You know, Jared Branthwaite came in uh, from Carlisle, so you'd expect him to 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 get at least the first half of the season before they'd look on a loan or potentially stepping him up to in and around first team training. Kyle John was playing a fullback, and I think had even had some. Some interest from the football league in, in terms of loans for him and and, and the kind of breakthrough he'd made uh, in the under twenty three. You know, Tyler Onyango got fast track last season. He was playing. Uh, there was lads in and around the squad like Reese Hughes. Yeah, and then you've obviously got Ella Sims up front and and Lewis Dobbin have been knocking on the door as well from the under eighteen. So you know, obviously there's a few areas that we'll, we'll have to get kind of plugged. I, I can't immediately think of a of a left back now that. Lewis Gibson has gone to Fleetwood and we'll probably go out on loan again next summer. We'll be with the first team. And obviously, Matty Folds isn't getting a new deal. So, that's one area where either they'll sign a young left-back for that position. But I don't really think we're we're operating in that way anymore of signing players in 23. So, so there's the opportunity for someone to, to step up there yeah, and maybe a, a, a winger or two as well to, to come. But certainly think, you know, you've got Sims and Dobbin up front. You've got Reese Hughes, you've got Lewis Warrington. Uh, we still don't know what's going to happen with Dennis and Deneran uh, next season. So the, the, the bones of a, of a team is there and an exciting young team at that as well. And I think it'll be really interesting to, to see these new faces because for the last two years, the team has been pretty much the same, uh, bar one or two changes. So I, I definitely think it'll be a case of seeing lads step up. And you know, I don't think we're going to see the, un- the under-23s have the same kind of success um, in terms of trophies and league standing, as we have, as we've probably gotten used to over the last four or five years, because whatever people say, you know, Unzi's been, Unzi's had a lot of, of of talented players, you know, players like Kenny and Calvert Lewin and Dal and all lads who've gone out to either play on loan in the championship or lads who've made it into the first team, like Tom Davis and and Luckman spent some time, Calvert Lewin spent some time. And then even lads who, who won that last league title, like Anthony Evans and stuff, have been a good move. So, you know, it'll, I think it could be a definite transition year and it could be a tough year in terms of some of the results. But I think that's what I prefer to see of young lads laying in the trade for it for six months or a year, 18 months, if they're only 17, 18, and then look to move them out on loan and then look to see if they're good enough for maybe stepping them up to the first team. And then if not, you know, you, you move them on when they're 19, 20 instead of. 23, 24, 25, like we're, we're seeing at the moment. I think that's definitely, the, the, you've made the right point there exactly. I think with the, we should rather see players learn in the trade in this level. I mean, this isn't like, we, we sometimes obviously, it's, maybe it's easy to because we don't win a lot at first team level so to see our youth teams winning titles and stuff maybe might be a sense of maybe validation, but it's the level where you want to see players like, you know, cutting their teeth and of course moving on sooner rather than later into that sort of loan system or even into the first team what I worry about sometimes with our under 23s is that we use it to play too much of our dead wood the likes of Umar Nias and people like that have been getting game time in the under 23s and I think that can stifle the amount of game time that our young promising players can get on the pitch 
think in the 23s. I think that the problem with that though is that people always people say that to, to me quite often and what is also difficult uh, in terms of the club point of view is is most of the time that's happened where you might see Umar Niasta and then Ella Sims on the bench. You might see Mohamed Besic start and then Markello on the bench. A lot of the time these players are, are asking to play, you know, and and going to, you know, Silver or Ancelotti and saying, you know, I, I need to play some football, I need some match fitness in, in my legs. And, and obviously then that, that message gets filtered down to Unsworth and, and, and that is difficult. I think I can remember a couple of, I remember going to Chorley in the pre-season last season, went down to Chorley and, and I think Besic and Pennington had both asked to play just to, to get minutes. Unsworth said after, I think there was an occasion this season when we played Plymouth in the Premier League Cup at Southport. And, you know, there was a big kick-off when the team sheet got put on Twitter or whatever because Nias was playing and there was no Sims. But, you know, Nias had asked to play, and I think it was around the time of the January transfer window and forever, and they are probably thinking, you know, do, does it harm them if Nias plays for the under-23s and scores a couple of goals and, you know, keeps his name kind of out there and there's always scouts watching and, and people like that. So it's, it's, it's a very double-edged sword, but I'm always careful to kind of thingy without when people say, you know, why is this first-team player playing, it is quite often a very simple answer. They are just playing to, to get minutes in the legs and to get match experience or to, to keep them in that window where there's scouts and, and that there. So, But again, you know, with the way we're trying to do things now, you know, you look and see Martinez out of contract and the asses out of contract, Garbutt's out of contract. Next season, apart from players coming back from injury, it should be a very rare occasion that you do see first-team lads or first-team outcasts. Uh, on loan in the reserves. The only way I could see that happening is, is with the current situation. Like, if we can't get Balassi off the books, if we can't get Sandro a loan move, you know, God forbid, uh, they might have to drop down and play a game. But I, I can't see that happening as much. But you know, it, it is always it is always interesting uh, the amount of plates that you know David Unsworth and, and John Ebrill have to spin. You know, it's you've got lads asking to play, you've got young lads knocking on the door, you've probably got. Paul Tate in the under-18 saying, you know, take a look at this lad or this lad's just scored five at the weekend. So there's, there's a lot that goes into under-23s and it's a very kind of specific level of football, isn't it? And and the other thing now is obviously, you know, your, your average Everton, Everton fan, your average fan in all Premier League clubs, you know, probably is is on the ball enough through the media and, and through Twitter and, and other social media to, they probably know who Ellis Sims is, they probably know a few names, but they don't watch these players week in, week out. And I think sometimes that has a staggered effect on, you know, what people might think is kind of, you speak to some people sometimes and they're like, Ella Sims should be starting for the first team. But, you know, when you watch them every week, you probably think, you know, the, the club are obviously trying to develop in, 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 the, in the manner that's correct for his, his development. So I think that's why it's always interesting to, to kind of follow. Certainly. I think the... The real situation is it's more of a damning indictment of the transfer policies of the past that we've got too much of the deadwood that we need to use them in the under-23s to give them match fitness. I think we've got too many first-team players of, of sorts on the books. I think Obviously, I think we're getting to the point now, like you say, this summer where we're starting to trim that squad yeah. size down. and We've been desperate for that for a couple of years now. I think the squad's been far too bloated. and Hopefully, like you say... There'll be a lot less of that once a few of these players run out of contract this summer and hopefully the year after might be the, the last of the deadwood, if you like, on the way out. You'd like to you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? And I also think that, you know, the there's deadwood at the first team level and then as we started with, there's 
players who just needed to move on in, in the under twenty three level as well. So I think it'll be it'll be good to see you know what level they do end up at. Do you know what I mean? For the the lads who are leaving this summer, and then you know you even then look towards next summer, and there's even more first team the players who, who are going to be out of contract and probably get moved on this summer or in January to to make a small a small fee on them. So we are now I think getting to what brands probably wanted when he came in, which for him will be a kind of a, a, a blank canvas or a fresh start. And I think we'll probably this time in 12 months, we'll be looking at a team that is, you know, very weighted with Marcel Brands type players and Carlo Ancelotti type players. And then even at under 23 level, you know, players who are being signed to fit a, a system. I think there was uh, an interview with, um, what's his name, the under-23, Jamie Hoyland, who was the under-23 scout and, and is now the, the lead scout for the first team. You know, and, and it was quite interesting what he said a, a few months back or a few weeks back where he said that the way Everton are currently trying to scout players and, and sign players is to fit a system that is basically manager-proof, that basically fits into Marcel Brands' vision and playing style, no matter who the manager is, which I find quite interesting. So, you know, we, we, we're probably going to see a very similar type of player being signed now across the next couple of transfer windows, which is, which is interesting. And then it'll be even more interesting to see how that feeds into the under-23s and whether there's a few more, you know, Jared Brantwaite-style signings coming in who are going to be signed, not for the under-23s, but, you know, to start in the under-23s and then with the view to kind of, you know, move up because Brantwaite already had football league experience, whether we'll look to dip into fund markets and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think I think there's there's going to be a lot of activity in in the two squads for the next twelve to eighteen months. I'd say. So, well, I think there's still a lot of changes that need to be made. So that if there is a, that kind of activity, then that's always a good sign. And of course, Marcel Brands executing what he wants, and with Ancelotti at the club as well. I think there's clear there's a, a lot more of a plan going forward now than what we saw. Certainly prior to Brands' appointment in 2018 when the club was in an absolute state of chaos. So it is it is good to see that we're moving forward in that respect. Uh, you were talking about the type of players Brands were bring, was looking at bringing in, Jav. You were quite clued up on what kind of players Brands is looking at. Obviously, there's a certain demographic, but is there a style of play that he's quite familiar with, is there? I think it, it probably kind of shows itself, doesn't it, in terms of, you know, you look at, the forward players that we've signed so far, you, you look at Richarlison, uh, Alex Awobi, uh, Bernard, Moise Keane were all signed by Brands. You know, they're all kind of lads who can play across that front line almost. You know, Awobi can play off both wings in the number 10. Bernard's the same. Richarlison, that kind of uh, striker who can, you know, play across a front three. Moise Keane, another one who, who you would say can, can play across the front three if needs be. Um, you know, and then I think this this week, you know, it was there's an interest in, in the lad from uh, Red Bull Salzburg as well, who's who's a very similar mould to, to that as well. So I think in terms of his forward options, yeah, you, you can definitely see what he's looking for there. I think a, a more interchangeable um, attack, and maybe then you know we, we would you know because we've got Calvert Lewin, who's more of your traditional striker, your, your centre forward who scores goals and a and a bit of a target man, so you know you're probably looking for people to play in and around him. Um, you know, I think even last summer you look and it, it very much seemed like we signed players to fit a four-three-three as well, didn't it? You know, we we lost Gay, kind of re- tried to directly replace him with Jabam and, 
although that kind of went down through his injury, which which was disappointing. But you know he's still there, and you can't forget that. But it, it felt like it was meant to be Delph, Gomez, and, and Jabamin in like a, in a kind of fluid midfield three. And then when you look in terms of of a defender, you know, and and Gabriel has been uh, linked. It does just seem like we're trying to fit that kind of mould now to, to have a, a big, dominant, confident centre-half who, who's quite physical and quite aggressive because I think we've we've been missing that a little bit. I do like Mina. I think Mina's got something about him, but you know we, we definitely need someone. I think you know it's horrible to say, but even you look at Liverpool and how much has changed for them since signing Virgil van Dijk. And I know not many teams can just go out and, and, and throw £75 million on a defender, but... You know, if if we can get that kind of, if you can get that that right at the back and and get that one man to just you know can change a lot of things. So, yeah, I think I think I think Brands's kind of strategy has, has probably been hinted at to, from the last couple of transfer windows, and it, it'll probably be something similar again over the next eighteen months. Obviously, this summer it's going to be quite uncertain. It looks like it's going to be more weighted towards loan moves and and swap deals and things like that. So it will be interesting to see how we kind of get the best out of this transfer window. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Finally, before we finish this segment, uh, both of you, I want to see what you think about this. We seem to be seeing fewer and fewer youngsters breaking into the first team. And given that we pride ourselves on bringing through academy players, uh, what do you think we can expect with these sorts of this sort of reject? Do you think we can see start seeing more young lads from our academies breaking into the first team in the next few years? Well. I would think so. Just, Marcel Brand has even said himself, hasn't he, that ideally he wants a 22-23 man squad and then room for young players to come through. Obviously, at the minute, the pathway is you know, somewhat blocked by, you know, we've got young players cropping up, but the, the standout ones tend to be in positions where we're quite well stocked. So, you know, um, Anthony Gordon, for example, he's competing, you know, for one of those, well, he's in fact, He'd probably prefer like a number 10 position, but we don't play it anymore. And then there's the left hand side, we've got Bernard and Awobi, who are you know two very established first teamers. You know, we don't seem to at the minute be have the kids coming through in the weaker positions. I, you know, how good would it be if we had Anthony Gordon, but he was a right winger, that kind of thing? I think we'll see more and more of it. It's just, it's just we're in the process at the minute of, of, of. You know, just laying the, the foundations, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, like just tidying the 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 garden. You know, there's some overgrowth in certain areas which needs to be cleared away before things can come through. But uh, I, I would hope so. It's, you know, it's something the club has prided itself on, and it's got to be said as well. It's it's slowed down the last couple of years because managers have been playing it safe because they've not been entirely confident in their position in the job because they've not been performing well enough. Carlo Ancelotti will probably have a lot more you know, um, peace of mind. He'll be a lot more relaxed about it. He knows he'll get the benefits of the doubt with a dip in form. Unlike other, yeah, or other, other unproven managers who haven't had that luxury or didn't feel they had that luxury to try a young player. I think, you know, Carlo Ancelotti will feel that confidence because he knows he won't, you know, lose the confidence of the club and the fans as easily as, say, Marco Silva would have, just based on his record. That's That's a very good point as well, I think. If anyone's going to be able to handle the situation, it'd be Carlo Ancelotti. So I hope so. I hope we we see you know more kids. And you know, Anthony Gordon looks good. Um, there's other young players come through training with the first team. I um, can never say his name right. Uh, Adenaran, Adenaran, Adenaran. Adenaran. He, um, 
think that is right. He's uh, he's training with the first team, a couple of others as well. Obviously, there's been a, there's clearly been a discussion with Lewis Gibson with uh, his you know pathway into the first team laid out. So it could it could be something we see a lot more of after a few you know a couple of years where it's been on and off. But who knows? With you know, for all we know, there could be a surprise. Um, Coming up in this coming season, we could start season in another academy graduate, John Joe Kenny's our right back, a little bit older now, or there could be a breakout star who, you know, you know, we're all never heard of. Well, not never heard of, but we're all sleeping on. Like nobody expects Ellis Sims, for example. I'm just using him as a good example of to break into the first team next year. They they see them having potential guards down the line, but he used to say something like that couldn't happen, you know, injuries happen, you know, what have you, and then you know, as soon as a young player gets the opportunity, he's just got to grasp it. Well, that's it. I think if you remember rightly, I think going into this season, he's all pretty much written Holgate's Everton career off and he's been one of the players of the season. So, you know, you, you can never say never about any players, even the ones who are getting on for 21, 22. Uh, Calvert-Lewin as well. Holgate and Calvert-Lewin, two of our standout players this year. And start of the year, there's been a lot of Evertonians who told you the two of them weren't good enough. You never know. You could same thing could happen with John Joe Kenny. Same thing could happen with Tom Davis. We could end up with both of them being established first teamers next year because it's just as um, likely or as unlikely as it would have been with Holgate this year. Well, that's, I think that's the hope for all of us. I think we, I want to see more players from our academies go on to be successful here, which is, I think that's the dream of any. Everton fan certainly a scouser to see scousers coming through and doing well. We haven't seen much of that. Lately, so you know that that could be a real positive, especially if brands can get this sort of rejigging like full steam ahead. If we can get if we can get that to work in the next couple of years, and the, like I say, the foundations have been laid. Then let's see what we can if we can reap the rewards of that. Right, for you podcast listeners, it's time for the middle bit where we give ourselves a much-needed break from the trials and tribulations of supporting Everton and harp on about something else for a bit. And on today's show, we're going to discuss our favourite comedy films. So we'll start with Sam. We'll go to you. What's your go-to comedy film, Sam? Um, ah, what a question. Say... There's been a few over the years, I think, that have been proper. In, I thought the first time I ever went to watch Borat on the pictures, that was that was funny. Uh, can't go wrong with a bit of Step Brothers, can you? A bit of Will Ferrell. Um, that, that's decent. Uh, big Simpsons fan, so I'll always throw the Simpsons movie in there as well. Classic. Go for that. Um, yeah, I think I think go go to, though, I think at the moment, like if it was just sitting off on Netflix, probably a bit of Superbad. Can't beat Superbad. Yeah. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, so yeah, they're they're my four. That's a good shout. They're all good shouts. Them. I think my number one would probably be Step Brothers. So I think you've you've reeled off mine there as well. That's a belted of a shout. Tropic Thunder as well. That's oh that's yeah, absolute quality quality film. Anything with Will Ferrell, Ben Stiller, anything like that, I'm always game for for giving that a watch. Plus, what about you, Terry? Um, I mean, I I prefer more of the classic ones. I love Airplane. I love the Naked Gun films. Mm. 
anything like that. Any anything that's sort of dry like that, where it's presented as if it's serious or a, not the film, but the the, the performance by Leslie Nielsen. Anything where it's deadpan. Yeah. I can watch those films anytime and act like I've never seen them before and just be in bulk. Absolutely brilliant. You know, um, you know, you know what, mate? I've completely forgot about Airplane, and I'm going to go and watch it after we finish this because it's an absolute belter of a film, isn't it? It's fantastic. Any of the uh, anything that Leslie Nielsen touched in his comedy career is just fantastic. You know, airplane, naked gun films, police squads, anything like that. Oh, they're absolutely brilliant. They'll never ever be beaten for me. Uh, outside of that, I'm just, just having a little think. Um, quite like the Sam Pegg Edgar Wright films. Um, you know, Shaun of the Dead. Um, Hot Fuzz, what have you? Because I um, I've been a fan of Sam Pegg. Edgar Wright, Nick Frost, and you have yeah, since they made Spaced, which is a TV show from um, the early two, well, 99 and 2001. It was on at only two seasons. Fantastic uh, series. And Shaun of the Dead was sort of like his little, it was only a small, you know, small budget film at the time. I don't think he realised it was going to be as big as it was. And it just sort of launched his film career. Uh, I've not long rewatched uh, Hot Fuzz, and it's just brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. But yeah, they're, yeah. they're probably my, my submissions to the topic. Hot Fuzz is a good shout, to be fair. Like, with a Hot Fuzz. Sean Dead as well, but I thought the, the last one, The World's End, was, wasn't as good, but I suppose it's hard to live up to those first two films, isn't it? Yeah. I, sort of, I think Paul's a good one. Yeah, yeah, Paul is good. Yeah, I enjoyed Paul, but it's not it's not made by Edgar Wright. That is not the same as the the uh, three flavors of ice cream trilogy they call it of World's Ends, Hot Fuzz, and Shaun of the Dead. But I, I get what Sam's saying. World's Ends all right, but it's it's just not as good as the, the previous two. It's sort of peaks of Hot Fuzz, I think. I'd say Shaun of the Dead's the best out of those three. To be fair, Shaun of the Dead's a good one to just like whack on if you like hungover or something like that, and just yeah. sit on. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. That'll be me tomorrow after I've had a couple of drinks while watching Airplane then. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't got a drinking problem, have you? Not yet, anyway. I mean, give it, give it a few more months of lockdown and I might end up uh, turning myself in. Uh, when, you're, uh, when you're watching Airplane, Lisa, you'll get that reference. So, uh... <laughs> oh, my, oh, wait, no, I've, I've, I've got it. I've already got it. But you're going to message me when you see it and go, oh, yeah, that's what he meant. <laughs> could, could, could be worse. It could be amphetamines. Uh, okay then well we'll move on to our next uh, segment the show we're going to do tonight is on Jibril Sadibi first our only loan signing this season and that's quite a far cry really from the days of Roberto Martinez and Everlone when we when we were signing about three or four loan players a season. So we've only made one and it's Jibril Sadibi. And we'll start with you on this one, Terry. Uh, what have you made of Sadibi's spell on loan from Monaco this season? It's, um, it's a hard one to sum up, really, isn't it? Because, well, he's off his head. He's completely off his head as a player. Sometimes he's an absolute monster and he's just can't be he can't be beat he's you know going one-on-one with a winger and coming out on top every time and then other times he's disastrous like he's he's the weak link in the team and the opposition are targeting him and it, it's it's hard to really make your mind up he, he is such a hot and cold player there doesn't seem to be any middle ground with him I mean it's 
the beginning, earlier in the season, I was very much, I was, I was all for, you know, Sadibe, his, his attacking contribution was just a breath of fresh air. You know, Seamus Coleman, you know, fantastic player, fantastic servant to the club. And I wouldn't even go so far as some others and say, like, oh, you know, he's, he's not, you know, he's, he's not 40. He's got, you know, a fair few years left in him, but he's just lost a little bit of cutting edge going forward since he came back from his injury, whether it's pace, whether it's, um, you know, confidence in taking on the man, but it, it, it just, he's lost a little something recently with his attack and play. Caught Seamus Coleman, still got it defensively, still as good as he was, but Sadibe was just a cut above him with uh, his contribution to, you know, assists and what have you. His crossing the... was a lot better. Yeah, his crossing is a lot better, and, and there was some, you know, balls he played. There was one, I think it was, was it Huddersfield, where he, his first assist, and he played um, the, a diagonal across to Calvert-Lewin. And it was just... Oh, uh, against Sheffield Wednesday. Sorry, who did I say? Huddersfield, Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, sorry, my mistake. Um, against Sheffield Wednesday, the type of ball he played, the diagonal cross field from the right flank, it just struck me. It's like that Seamus Coleman wouldn't have even attempted that ball or even seen it. And he just added something completely different. And there's been games where he's been fantastic, but then there's been games like... Then the there was the Norwich game. Yeah, the Norwich game... Um, where he was absolutely dreadful. Oh, man, Sadiwi, get over. Yeah, <laughs> the, the famous fit clip. That might have been me. I was a, uh, I was sitting in the lower bullens that game, so <laughs> you might not have even been the fella holding the camera. It um, mm. might have been me from underneath him. And then there's obviously the Chelsea game, the last game we played before you know lockdown. Oh, and it, was, it was one of the worst individual performances of the season. He was absolutely diabolical. So it's it's hard. Uh, he's he's been so up and down. Isn't it? Yeah, he's sometimes you know we're gonna grade him eventually, but he you know some games he's been nine out of ten, some games he's been two out of ten. It's hard. I think now to just preempt your next question, would you buy him? I was unsure before the you know coronavirus you know impact on football, um, which you know the Echo have come out and said this week that it's it's it has changed transfer plans you know what was planned has now been sort of modified to accommodate the losses that that'll incur and that's made my mind up I don't think we should I think we should save our money and look for either a better option stick with Kenny maybe I'm not 100% sure Kenny's um, the right answer there but if we're prioritising positions I think you know centre back centre midfield maybe even right midfield are, are more pressing when we've got two senior right backs already in place and it may be something we look at next summer but I wouldn't buy Sadibe with with um, the market being as it is now with you know money needing to go a lot further even though it is a low fee by the previous standards uh, certainly I think the big question is before I move on to Sam if you have to vouch for bringing in Sadibe and selling Kenny or letting Sadibe go and keeping Kenny Kenny or Sadibe Um, a straight, you know, I'll get we get money for Kenny if we sell him, and uh, but you can only buy Sadibe type scenario. Basically, yeah. So we we pay the money for Sadibe and then make a profit on Kenny. Yeah, I'd do that. I think he's, I think he is a better player than Kenny, but I don't think it'll be that neat and tidy. I don't think it, it you know, I don't think we'll get a buyer for Kenny, um, given that Schalke can't afford it and. 
but I'm getting if if that was the that binary option, keep one or the other, but the other one goes out, which it depending on who you pick, then I I do prefer to debate to Kenny. Um, but I, I, as I say, I don't think it'll be as neat and tidy and as black and white as that. I think it'll be a lot more complicated, and I don't see us. I don't think we should be buying to eBay if other options are available, which obviously in that scenario they wouldn't be. So, can you see John Joe Kenny playing for Everton next season? Uh, before Sadiba, I do. I think there is a still a possibility that we could get a different right back. Um, but yes, I, I think if you said to me now who's got more chance of playing next season for Everton, Sadiba or Kenny, it's going to be one or the other. I'd probably say Kenny, given the uh, financial situation. So it's more of a circumstance thing that's brought yeah, Kenny yeah. back. Yeah, it's a circumstance. I, that, that's uh, you know, there's a lot of you know intangibles going with that. Uh, who do I prefer out the two? Sadiba. Who do I think's more likely? Kenny, just because of the situation. But it's not to say I don't like Kenny. I don't think he's a massive step down from Sadiba. I just think uh, Sadiba is a better player. But it's you know, it's a matter of money. No. Well, let's not also forget that John Joe Kenny's younger and could still kick on a bit. So. Yeah, I mean, I said in the I said in the, the previous segment that there's every chance John Joe Kenny comes back and does a Calvert Lewin. You know, he's been around for a while, but he, you know, change of system, change of manager, just clicks with him, and he, you know, grows as a player. That would be the perfect scenario. I mean, I don't think anyone would. Um, I don't think anyone would would be against that happening. I think that'd be everyone's first choice, but it's just whether it's realistic or whether you you envisage it, envision it, but. We'll see, we'll see. I think it's more likely we'll see Kenny than Sadiba, though. Certainly, uh, Sam, what about you? Would you want to shed some light on the Gibraltar Sadiba conundrum? Do, do you think that there's a, a standout sort of performance? Do you venture more to the positive side or the negative side of Gibraltar Sadiba's game? Yeah, I, think, I think it's difficult. I remember his debut at Lincoln and we were there and remember after it thinking it was weird Like for someone who's been in a World Cup squad. You know, he didn't look uh, that great there, and he did win me over for a couple of weeks. Then I think got a few good assists and, and looked comfortable going forward. But I think Terry kind of summed it up quite nicely. He has just been a little bit too inconsistent. I think his positioning has left a lot to be required at times. You know, I think one against one, he's he's not really too bad, but it does seem like he, he just switches off positionally. I think we've seen it against Arsenal when Bemiang got in behind him. I think the Brighton goal when Dean scored the own goal. Uh, you know, what towards Christmas was was probably him kind of venturing upfield when it was two two in the last minute. Um, so I think if if we have to make a decision, if we're having to look at this summer as a kind of unique summer where we have to go after the priorities, I think I'd rather just say, look, well, we definitely need a centre back. We definitely need a centre mid. Let's just get Kenny back. You know, Kenny's value will still be there next summer. I'd, I'd like to think. Um, so. I think I'd definitely go for Kenny over Sidney at this point. Yeah, I think that that would be the take I'd have on it as well. To be honest, I think I'm not sure whether it's 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 not necessarily. I'm, I'm relatively impressed with what I've seen from Kenny playing for Schalke. I know he have not played well recently, Schalke, but he has had a decent season over there, and I'd like to see what he could do coming back to Goodison next season. And more than anything, I'm not confident enough in Gibril Sidibe. To, as a right back to maintain a place in an Everton side that's obviously trying to aim higher than it's already at. Yeah, 
I don't know. I just I think the thing is, is that yeah, we we probably can't. I think you just I think this summer now, you know, even if this wasn't going on, I still wouldn't probably say, you know, pay the money for Sadibi. I just don't think he's. I just don't think he's shown enough. And and yeah, I do think that somewhere down the line, something better will will come up. So. You know, he's, he's been decent for us, Stevie. I'd never put him down as a flop. I'd never put him down as, you know, one of the worst, one of the worst players to play for Everton or anything like that. You know, he's obviously got pedigree. He's played in the World Cup. He's got a World Cup winner's medal. He, he's, you know, done well in France as well. I think one league one there as well. So, you know, he's a decent player. But I think it just comes to the toss-up. I'd rather see John Joe Kenny after a year in Germany be given that chance to say... Look, in his full season, you know, you're going to get good game time as long as you're playing well. Go and show us what you've got. And then at the end of that season, he hasn't impressed enough. Then then you move him on kind of thing. I, I think that would probably be the the move to make sense at this point. I think I'd have to agree with you on that. So obviously, we'll come, we'll draw this sort of Sadibi debate to a close. We'll go for our scores out of 10. What would you give Sadibi out of 10 this season, Sam? I'm going to go for a six. I'm going to sit on the fence on, on jib. Go six. Six out of ten. Terry? Yeah, probably going to go for six out of ten as well. He's been too good to be lower than that, but he can't go any higher because he's had too many stinkers. But he's been more good than bad, but when he's been bad, he's been bad. So I'd go for six. Yeah, it's one of them. Maybe it's just the um, the trauma of the Chelsea game still ringing for <laughs> me a little bit. I was going to go for... I was going to give him a five and a half, so it's it's near enough a unanimous decision. But I just think a six is a bit too high for someone who's played as dreadfully as he has on some occasions. So let's say a five and a half. But it, whatever way you look at it, there you have it, guys. The verdict on Jibril Sadibi is exactly what you were probably expecting—an absolute mixed bag, a very middle of the road set of scores, and on that show, and probably not sufficient to convince. Everton two triggered his buyout clause at the end of the season in the midst of the obvious financial uncertainty, the sort of black hole that we're going into. But we'll wait and see what happens on that front in the next transfer window, whenever that may be. Teddy, Sam and I are going to bring you another player performance review for this season's first team squad. And our next review will be on Everton's number nine, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Only 23 years old, it's hard to believe he's already been part of the Everton first team for four years. We've been waiting for him to kick on and improve as a goal scorer for a while. And this season, it looks as though he's finally stepped up 13 goals at the close of play before lockdown. And nine games left if the season resumes to try and better that tally. So, comfortably the best goal scoring of his young career. So, we'll start with you on this one, Sam. We've got to be pleased with Calvert-Lewin's progress this season, surely. Yeah, it's it's a mad one, isn't it? There's not many players like Calvert-Lewin who've kind of bounced back from um, the, the opinion I think a lot of people had, had formed of him, especially this season, you know... I, I even I remember as far back as like it's mad to think how long he's been in the team for. Really, I remember when we had those uh, Europa League qualifiers under Cumin in that kind of last kind of fateful summer, and I remember he scored and won the games. It was a really nice finish, but I just it might have been at Rosenbach, and I just couldn't believe it. Like he just didn't seem like a, a natural goal scorer. But then sometimes like 
I think it was Sunderland in the Carabao Cup not long after that then. Then he'd score a really nice finish and I just didn't know what to make of him. But halfway through this season, for me, I, or, you know, just before, or at the time Silva was sacked, I was just, I was done with him really. I just thought, you know, he'd missed chances. I think there was that Villa one at the start of the season. He wasn't scoring goals. You know, he had all the hard work, but you just thought, I just got to the point where, where I was like, you know, if you're going to be Everton's number nine, you've still got to score goals. It can't just be the hard work. And it kind of felt like a lot of other people had reached that conclusion. But what a kind of rebirth at such a young age as well. It, it just looks a totally different player, looks to have all the confidence in the world. And you're getting to the point now where you're expecting them to score. Um, and to be honest, if we were in any other climate and, and the season would have carried on the way it was, he probably would have scored 15, 20 goals. And we, we, we might have had your, your Manchester United and, and a few other teams knocking at the door for him because... That's how good he was. He was playing and, and generally been, I think, head and shoulders above the rest. Probably, definitely our, our player of the season, maybe alongside uh, Richarlison. So, you know, and, and such a good partnership he's formed with him as well. So, just so good at the moment, and I just really hope that at the end of this season and even next season, then he can pick up where he'd he left off because he does look to be thriving on that confidence. You know, I think he thoroughly deserves a an England call up as well. You know, I think. Dominic Solanke's played for England and, and he hasn't. A bit of an insult. And, uh, he is just on, on red hot form. And, you know, he's just got it all, hasn't he? He's fast, he's strong, he's physical, he's he's not scared of defenders. You know, he, lo- he loves winding people up, which is always good to see. And, and then he, he knows where, where the back of the net is. So Ever- Everton have, have stumbled across a, a gem, I think, in, in, in Calvert Lewin. And, you know, he, he could save Marcel Brand's 20. 30, 40, 50 million in, in the future because he really is looking that good a prospect. And, you know, in an age where teams every summer are scrambling around to try and find the, the next goal scorer, Everton could have had one in the ranks all along. And, and testament to your, your David Unsworths, your Duncan Fergusons, your, your coaches who've worked with him every week over the last three or four years. And then also, and then, you know, you've got you've got to probably credit, you know, Koeman and, and Silver and now Ancelotti as well for each working with him but certainly looks like he's thriving off the, the management style of Ancelotti and, and being given that kind of responsibility up front with Richarlison I think there's no doubt about it though with Carlo Ancelotti you're talking about a, a style of a manager who's levels above the previous managers we've had and uh, what do you think that kind of him he surely has a, a much more telling impact on players when you bring in a manager of that calibre I think he said didn't he this week even he said the you know, it, it was great in that, but he said one of the biggest things that Ancelotti did was he, he just didn't say too much. You know, Ancelotti, you know, is an experienced man manager and he, he's obviously worked with more high-profile characters than Calvert-Lewin in his time, but I think he'd learned that thing of, you know, he just didn't say too much, just didn't give him too much to take on board. He, he scored those two goals, excuse me, he scored those two goals against Chelsea and I think Ancelotti just told him to, to carry on doing what he was doing and, and that's what he's done and I think definitely must be that sense of puffing out your shoulders and, and, and thinking, look, if I'm good enough to start up front for um, Carlo Ancelotti, then, then I'm good enough to, to play in this Everton team, to wear the number nine, to play in the Premier League. So, you know, no doubt that Carlo's having an effect and it really does seem like his man management skills have been uh, spot on with, with Dominic as well. I think there was a point where I think he told the press, didn't he, that Carlo asked them to stay more central. And obviously, I think that's really reaped his rewards. 
Yeah, and I, I think then, you know, to, to find that part, it, it, it was the Chelsea game, wasn't it, when Calvert-Lewin scored twice and him and Richarlison were that dynamic duo that I think a lot of people thought, you know, bloody hell, why haven't we been doing this for ages? You know, when he is more central and, you know, he causes the problems and, and you can't discount Richarlison's impact because I think, you know, Calvert-Lewin, when he was playing by himself, he was winning the headers or he was giving defenders problems, but there was no one around him. And I think since we entered that 4-4-2, he's just been able to use his strengths not only to get himself goals, but but for the team as well and to bring other people into the game. So, you know, making him that focal point of the attack alongside Richarlison has been a masterstroke from Duncan and, and, and even better than from Carlo to, to stick with it. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing is obviously you brought in a manager who's... I think he's always been an adaptable manager, Ancelotti, with the different styles of play that he's used at different clubs. But the fact that he's come into the team, obviously with, with the caretaker manager who just changed it to four four two and stuck with it, I th- I've been quite impressed with that from Ancelotti. You know, it's it's quite easy for managers to come in with the egos and these big ideas for philosophies and whatnot. But he's come in and he's been very adaptable, a lot more pragmatic than a lot of previous managers have been, and he doesn't seem as stubborn, which is, I think that really helps with that kind of flexibility, helps players, I think, and especially when maybe when they're going through dry spells. He, obviously, it's been a whole new level of goal scoring from Calvert-Lewin since Ancelotti's arrival. Yeah, it is just... It's it set the foundation, hasn't it? I really think now, I know it's felt like we, we've said this every year for about 10 years now, but it, it's exciting now next season that you know, we do seemingly, certainly offensively, have a bit of a shape that works. We've got two players who are scoring goals and I know we still need to finish this first season and, and anything could still happen and we could lose all our last few games and we'll be kind of looking at it uh, from, from the other side. But at this point in time, I'm generally thinking, you know, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, you know, they, they don't half suit each other. They don't half suit that system that, that Ancelotti seemingly likes. And, you know, that, that that's got to give you... High spirits, you know, if we can plug a few gaps in this current market and moving forward, then, you know, we, we've got a forward. I, I don't reckon any centre-back or defender in the Prem would, would be happy waking up on a Saturday morning saying, I've got to defend against Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison because they've got bags of energy, they're strong, they're aggressive, they're fast. You know, Calvert-Lewin wins a lot of headers, got a, a leap that, you know, it's almost like Cristiano Ronaldo, like the way he jumps, isn't it? The way he hangs in the air, I've never seen that from an Everton player before. Um, so, yeah, it, it does seem like Carlo stumbled on something, stuck with it, and it could pay dividends for us, hopefully, next season. Certainly. What about you, Terry? What do you think Calvert-Lewin's brought to his game this season that maybe he didn't have before? He's just found where he fits, doesn't he? I mean, he's been in the team for a long time, but he was never, he was sort of mistreated, wasn't he, by various managers, like, you know, he came in under Kuman and Kuman was playing him wide, you know, a lot and you know Wing back. Yeah, wing back in one game. The the fact that he was so his physical attributes sort of betrayed him a little bit because he was you know, he was fast, he was strong, he you know, he was had all the you know the tools physically as Sam touched on. Um and he was such a hard worker and so, you know, willing to you know, put the, the graft in. You know, Kuman used him as a utility player. Um then obviously after that we didn't get the replacement for Lukaku and he, he was thrown into the under the glare of the spotlight as the the number nine in the in the team and he wasn't ready for it yet and he certainly didn't suit being up front by himself 
So it coloured the you know the opinion a lot of supporters had of him, including myself. I didn't you know see, I certainly didn't see him as a number nine in the, in that respect. I, I thought for a long time, well, this was my take on Calvert Lewin up until recently. That's that he was the second striker. He was the type of player like a Stephen Naismith. He needed to be on the pitch with another striker who was the main top striker. So if he'd have been on the pitch with Lukaku more like in late later in Calvert Lewin's career, not when he was a kid, if he'd have played in a system where he was just off Lukaku in like a four two three one or whatever, I didn't think he'd suddenly start turning on the goals. But I thought you'll see a lot more and appreciate his ability a lot more in that position, that sort of Stephen Naismith make space for other players type position. I didn't think for a second in a four four two, you know, how we need to see Calvert Lewin in a four four two because I genuinely thought at Everton at least that formation was extinct. We hadn't seen it since pre David Moyes era. Um, but obviously, as you said before, you know Duncan Ferguson went to an orthodox four four two, and Ancelotti took that on. And to everyone's surprise, myself included, like you know, he he, he hasn't become this Stephen Naismith sort of. You know, assistant to the strike main striker. He's become the main striker. He is the main striker, and it's just adds a different dimension to his game. He, you know, he's he looks more like a number nine now in a in a four four two. And with him and Richarlison as a partnership, we've got something there. And I, I'm thankfully both signed up to new long term contracts, which reflect their position at the club, which is probably the two strongest pillars in the squad of you know to build upon. They're going to be the two names on the team sheet whenever they're fit going forward because they complement each other so well. Calvert Lewin is a perfect foil for the type of striker Richarlison is, and Richarlison is the perfect foil for the type of striker Calvert Lewin is. So Calvert Lewin, uh, under this manager, under Ferguson, and in a four-four-two formation, has become the player he was. You know, he he wanted to be, and he was you know meant to be. To the surprise of you know everyone, no, I don't think anyone saw a great goal scorer in him until. You know, he started banging the goals in. It was not something that you know you would have said his main attribute was that you know oh, he, he can find the net. It was always his hard work, and, and that worked against them. As I say, he said, didn't he? That Ancelotti said to stay central and make him give him make himself a presence, and it was music to his ears because every other manager had told him to run the channels and and what have you. And he's had some brilliant games playing like that. You know, away at Man City gets mentioned a lot in. Um, the season where, you know, Koeman and Walsh sent all those players, he, you know, he terrorised the Man City back four by himself, you know, got Kyle Walker sent off. I genuinely thought that was what he was going to be. He was going to be that nuisance type player. I didn't see him as a box number nine striker, but that seems to be what he what he excels at. And, um, yeah, I think he's been, from December onwards, he's been a revelation. And if it not, hadn't been for... You know, COVID nineteen, he would have been in the next England squad, and deservedly so. And I hope that he still gets the call up whenever the next England squad is. Yeah, most certainly, and I think what it's worth. Uh, we were talking about the kids earlier on, weren't we? And I think uh, another good thing if they switch to four four two is that we'll get to see. I think that's the formation the under twenty threes use as well. So there's a bit more synchronicity there, isn't there? Well, if it um. If it isn't already the formation the the under twenty threes use, I'm sure Sam will let us know. But um, it's probably going to be it going forward because that seems to be the way the club is going to set up going forwards. Play four four two, and if you can't, you know, obviously a lot of players won't won't suit that. But you know, we're we're getting the we're reaping the benefits of sort of other players who do suit it, like Calvert Lewin himself. So if you don't suit it, I think you need to uh, 
need to be speaking to your agents about going somewhere else because it's not a position you can hide in. You can't blag um, you can't blag it in a four four two because every single position um is needs to stand up and be accounted for and the strikers, Carver Loon especially, to do that. Well that's the thing. The, the formation's brought a lot out of them, but obviously you've still got to finish the chances and do you think that's just a confidence thing that's come maybe with the assurance that Ancelotti's brought? Yeah, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's he's finding himself having more space, so he and and you know he's under different instructions now, so he's getting more opportunities, he's getting better opportunities, and yeah, I think confidence is a big thing as well. Once he's, you know, a lot of players are a bit like purple patches and what have you. And, you know, earlier in the season he had that miss against um, Aston Villa, which got you know screenshotted uh, before he hit it, and people were like giving him pelters for it because it, you know he, he's missed what seems in a freeze frame to be an easy chance, but. You know he's he's he had the knack of scoring before the uh, before the postponement of the league even game even goals where it didn't look like he was entirely in control of himself like away at Newcastle where he somehow you know bundled it in and you know against Chelsea it was a scruffy goal it's like but that's what strikers do it's what number nines are meant to do like they don't all have to be puskas you know nominated goals they some of them need to be scruffy tappings some of them need to be lucky like the um, Man United one where he just chases down the ball and keeper gives does him a favour, they all count and that the more of them the better because his confidence um will grow and grow and he'll take more chances like that and he'll get more rewards. Well, fingers crossed that's what the future holds. Uh, we're going to finish with our obviously verdict out of ten. What about you, Terry? What would you go with for Dom out of ten this season? Calvert Lewin, of course, not Cummings. Uh, um, eight out of ten. He only loses the two because earlier in the season, which I'm not going to even say he was terrible in, but to get any higher than an eight, he'd have to do it all season. But from December till the postponement, he was fantastic, so I'm going to give him an eight. Sam? It's pretty harsh, I'm saying. I've got to go nine for, for, for DCL. Definitely. The goals he scored, and you've got to remember, we're still, I know it seems mad, but we're only partly through the season, aren't we? He could still end up with. 15, 20 goals, which, you know, you'd almost certainly say 15. A good end of the season would see 20 goals. An Everton striker scoring 20 goals in the Premier League season at that age would, would be something else. So, yeah, I think 9 out of 10 could, could push on. Could push on towards the perfect 10 if he scores over 20 goals for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what it takes for an Everton striker to get a 10 out of 10. You've got to be in the 20s for scoring goals, and you never know what might happen. For me, I'm going to stick with the nine as well. I think that's a, the, the right shout. I mean, for me, the, the reason that he gets a bit higher than what maybe Terry gave him is that obviously Eddie yeah, didn't do well, but we're talking about the extent of his improvement from where we were at the start of the season to where he was when the lockdown was announced. I think the progress he's made is that's testament to his work rate and obviously the manager as well. But I think the progress that he's made and how hard he's worked to come come so far this season I think he deserves a 9 out of 10 so there you go guys Uh, two nines and an 8 for Dominic Calvert-Lewin this season so far anyway and that brings us to the end of the performance review course if you're listening to the podcast it's time for us to round off with the if you know your history quiz tonight it's terry up against sam 
in another matchday squad quiz. Of course, that means we go through the members of the squad, be it a starter or a substitute who was used in that game. And, of course, the first to get one wrong surrenders and hands his opponent the big W. So, first things first, we're going to decide who goes first. Uh, I've got my trusty coin with me again, and I'll let the returning Sam pick heads or tails. So, heads or tails, mate? I'll go heads. Let's have a look. It's tails. Oh. Go on, Teddy. First or second? I'll go first, please. Yeah, you went second last week, and that didn't work out for you. Did it? I know you won last week, didn't you? Yeah, well, it wasn't because I went second, but I like to mix it up. There you go, we'll mix it up then. So, Teddy's going to go first, and now that's all sorted, I'll uh, cue the intense quiz music. There it is. And um, we'll reveal the fixture in question. Our fixture tonight is Wigan Athletic nil, Everton 1, Premier League, 30th of January 2010. And there was only two new substitutes in this game, so we've got a nice odd number. We've got to have a winner first time round. 13 correct answers to choose from. Terry, let's do it. With Tim Howard. Always a safe bet. Tim Howard started the game, and if in case you wonder, played the whole game. Sam? Struggling to even remember this game, so it's going to be a, a tough one. I'll go for Tim Kale. Tim Kale played and, of course, scored the only goal, the winning goal, six minutes from time. Leighton Baines? Leighton Baines did indeed play and took the corner that Kale scored from. Mm, Marouane Fellaini? Marouane Fellaini? Played for full game. Don't doubt yourself, Sam. You're doing all right here. Phil Neville. Phil Neville played the full game. Great shot. That's five out of thirteen. Five out of the eleven starting players. Sylvan Distan. Teddy's our winner again. Sylvan Distan did not play. At all. No silver? Oh. Where was where was Big Silv? No idea, but it was all we were all the worst for it because Philippe Senderos was the other centre back. Oh my god. Was Jag did Jags play? No BR. Let, let's cross Senderos off and let you have a guess of all the others. You've still got five more starters and two subs to go. Darren Gibson. Darren Gibson, I don't think he'd signed for Everton by this point. Like me? That was the year after, wasn't it? Osman. Who'd you say, Osman? Yeah. Yeah, he played the full game. Oh, he's the safest bet in the whole team. I don't know why I didn't go for him. Um, John Heitinger? Yeah, Heitinger was Senderos's centre-back partner. So you've got the whole of the back four and the keeper. You've got Fellini and Osman, Tim Cale, three more starters and two subs. Louis Saha. Louis Saha started the game and was substituted later on. Pina. Pina played the full game. One more starter and then your two subs. Big Vic. Big Vic was one of the substitutes. He came on on the 75th minute. 
may have not signed yet. I can't remember. But Kevin Morales? No, Morales. He didn't sign for another two years. Oh, God, yeah. Oh. Trying to, I'm trying to go by position. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you where they played. The start of your mission played on the right wing. And the sub was a striker. Was Coleman playing on the right back then? No, Coleman was an unused sub. Donovan? Landon Donovan? It was Landon Donovan who started on the right wing. That was a great shout. And the final substitute, this is a bit of an interesting one. Belios? Nope. Vaughan? James Vaughan came on in the in the last minute for Louis Saha. And last game, surely. It might have been his last game, I'm not actually sure. But um, Big Vic came on for Landon Donovan, 75th minute. Vaughan on for Saha in the 90th minute. The unused substitutes were Carlo Nash, Shane Duffy, Seamus Coleman, Jack Rodwell and Diniar Bilyalektanov. So there you have it. Terry's our winner once again. Uh, it seems to be a weekly ritual now, Terry, but if you want to go and uh, reel through his ER, he's already on it now. He's looking through his uh, music playlist. He's trying to pick us a song to <laughs> see us out at the end of this podcast. Ooh, I'm going to go for Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang. Wow. You're really mixing it up lately, aren't you? <laughs> I've had to come away from the um, the classic rock um, songs because I've had a couple of repeats because I've done that many that I forgot which ones I've done and which ones I hadn't. Yeah, I've lost count of the number of uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers we've had off you, to be honest. So uh, the Sugar <laughs> Hill Gang is quite a deviation. Uh, sorry, James, I've never picked the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I think you think of someone else. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Not that I dislike them, I've just never picked them. I've not really been that into them. Because of Swan? No, I think it's Max. Max, Max, does, Max does the Max Chili Peppers. Yeah, yeah, Max does the Chili Peppers. He does the Chili Peppers and the Oasis a fair bit, especially the Chili Peppers. I know, I, f- I forgot. It's usually Max who always seems to win when you when you play against him. Yeah, isn't he? yeah Max. Uh, that's yeah, a, I think I've beaten Max like once ever. <laughs> Max is pretty imperious on these. I'm Thomas, I think. Is, um, <laughs> Terry, Terry's enjoying getting used to the uh, winning feeling, it seems, and he's, um, he's clearly... It'll soon be over, don't worry. And he's going to serenade us at the end of this with uh, the Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the song and why you've gone with it? The best song ever made, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. One of the... Um, funniest thing that's ever heard was I was in one of my old uh, places of work in the stock room and um, there was an, um, a little you know Bluetooth speaker going and someone's phone playing music and Rapper's Delight came on and it'd been like in a mix of a lot of other like rap songs and that from the lads in the stock room and one of the lads shouts from the other side of the stock room and this comes on he went fucking hell lads who's this John Barnes <laughs> And then, then, like, I think about three years later, on a a league of their own, John Barnes did actually come out and rap this song. I couldn't believe it, but it's it's tickled me ever since this day. But, yeah, brilliant song, brilliant song. But um, John's going to have to, like, play it a lot earlier than just the usual songs, because it's so long. So it'll probably come on in the middle of the quiz, it's that long. That's what I mean. Either that or we can get John Barnes on to rap it for us at the end. 
That'd be good, wouldn't it? Like an interview with John Barnes for the Toffee Blues. And, you know, just get get him to do the world in motion rap at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but, there, but there you have it, guys. Uh, that's the end of our podcast. If you want, want to give us a subscribe and a like, the usual whatnot, uh, get down and do all that. And yeah, thank you to Sam for coming on again. No, thanks for having me. More than welcome, mate. And of course, you'll see me and Teddy again next week, probably. So be sure to check that out. But we'll leave you for now with Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang as per Teddy's request. See you later. You rock it to the beat without a care. Cruise the show, I shot MCs for the affair. Now I'm not as tall as the rest of the gang, but I rap to the beat just the same. I got a little face and a pair of brown eyes. All I'm here to do, ladies, is hypnotize. I sing it on and on and on and on and on. The beat don't stop until the break of dawn. I sing it on and on and on and on and on. Like a hot butter to pop, to pop, to pop. Give it, give it, pop, to pop, pop. You don't dare stop or come alive, y'all. Give me what you got. I guess by now you can take a hunch and find that I am the baby of the bunch. But that's okay, I still keep in stride Cause all I'm here to do is just a wiggle your behind Sing it on and, and on and on and on The beat don't stop until the break of dawn Sing it on and, and on and on and on and on Rock, rock, yo, I throw it on the floor I'm gonna freak you here, I'm gonna freak you there I'm gonna move you out of this atmosphere Cause I'm one of a kind and I'll shock your mind I put the dig, dig, diggles in your behind I say the one, two, three, four, come on girls I get on the floor, I come alive, yo Give me what you got, cause I'm guaranteed to make you rock. I said one, two, three, four, tell me one to my, what are you waiting for? To the hip, hop, the hip, to the hip, the hip, hip, the hop, and you don't stop. Rock it to the bang, make the boogie, say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. What's gonna be about? We rock a Scooby-Doo, and guess what? America, we love you, because you rock in a row with us so much so you can rock till you're 101 years old. I don't mean to brag, I don't mean to boast, but we're like hot butter on a breakfast toast. Rock it out. Baby Bubba, Baby Bubba to the boogie, the bang bang, the boogie to the beat, beat is so unique. Come on, everybody, and dance to the beat.
while I was coming home late one dark afternoon. The porter stopped me for an interview. She said she's heard stories and she's heard fables that I'm vicious on the mic and the turntable. This young reporter I did adore. So I rocked the vicious rhyme like I never did before. She said, damn, fly guy, I'm in love with you. Casting over legend must have been true. I said, by the way, baby, what's your name? Said I go by the name Lois Lane. And you can be my boyfriend, you surely can. Just let me quit my boyfriend called Superman. I said, he's a fairy, I do suppose. Flying through the air, the pantyhose. He may be very sexy or even cute. But he looks like a sucker in a blue and red suit. I said, you need a man who's got finesse. And his whole name across his chest. He may be able to fly all through the night. But can he rock a party till the early light? He can't satisfy you with his little worm. But I can bust you out with my super sperm. I go do it, I go do it, I go do it, do it, do it. And I'm here, and I'm there. I'm Big Bang Hank, I'm everywhere. I just throw your hands up in the air and party harder like you just don't care. Let's do it. But don't stop, y'all. I take a top, y'all. You know.